Today we are actually wrapping up um, our uh, Life in the Spirit series. We've been going through Romans 8, uh, just kind of walking through that to see what happens. Uh, and, and today as we get to the end of the text, the end of the chapter, we're going to end up having some conversation a little bit um, around probably some of our biggest fear. Now, those of you that have kids, you can track with me on this one. If you don't have kids, try to remember when you were a kid, um, or if you've ever messed things up terribly with your spouse, whatever, just, just follow through here. But if you had the experience where your kids did something so colossally bad, I mean, it was bad, that there was, there was no way around, I mean, like, like the mess that it caused or the problem that it caused or the thing that happened because of it was just intense, okay? And when that happens, um, kids generally have, and it may come out as anger, it may come out as sadness, they may cry a lot, and because we're great parents, we say things like, well, why are you crying? Is it because you got caught? Or because you did it, right? Because we're good with that kind of stuff. Um, maybe that's just me. Um, but, but what we're doing here is we're having this conversation with our kids and what their heart really wants to know. And so perhaps they've asked you this, or as you were a kid, maybe you asked it, do you still love me? You ever had your kids ask you that? When things get bad, when they get in trouble, it's the do you still love me? And as a parent, it breaks your heart. And it breaks your heart because the thing that you want your kids to know over and above everything else is that there is nothing that you can do that will ever cause me as a father that loves and cares for you. There is nothing that you could ever do that will keep me from loving you. See, as a father, for, for my wife, as a mother, that's what we want our kids to understand. But yet inherently, when they get in trouble, when things go bad, this, this thing kicks in where they, they just want to know, did I push you too far? Did this one go too far? And of course, we know the answer to that is no, but it's weird because um, in this life that we live in, when we ask the question, did I push you too far? You know, it's one thing with parents and kids, but it's another thing everywhere else. Because sometimes, unfortunately, when I ask the question, did I push too far? In some scenarios in life, the answer is yes. You did, and it's done. You know, I mean, uh, husbands and wives break up. Divorce happens. We lose jobs. Our employers lose faith in us. Uh, and and they, they let us go. Our friends decide that they're done with our drama and they walk away. Uh, there are all kinds of things that happen uh, in life where we see that, you know what, there is a breaking point that people have. There's a breaking point where I've taken it one step too far and they're, you know, they, they look at you and, and they're like, you know what? It's not worth it to me. And really what they're saying there, and it hurts, is you're not worth it to me. And they walk away and we wonder, will that ever happen with God? Will we ever get to a point where God says, 
I'm done with you. We're finished. That's one sin too far. That's one neglection too much. We're just done. Is there ever a point in time where you can outwork the grace of God as someone who believes in and follows God? It's this fundamental question that we have as Christians. It's, it's, we've talked about this before. It's one of the things people want to know as they, as they get there at the end of their life or as they struggle with, with some sin that they've been stuck in or have been caught in. They want to know, have I, have I outworked God's grace? See, now, I want, to, I want to be clear here who this question is for. This is not a question for people that don't know that they follow God, for people that don't want to follow God, for people who don't know Jesus. They assume, those people, like, yeah, I know God's real. See, this, we, got, we got to track the difference here. People that know God's real, yeah, I know God's real, but I don't really think he needs me to follow him. I had one of those conversations in my office a few weeks ago from somebody that left really angry because of that conversation, and I was about as great, I mean, really, guys, I gave myself a pep talk, right? Like, don't do that thing. Don't say what you want to say. Like, inside, I'm like, okay, God, help me. Help me be gracious. And so I was gentle. I, mean, I know some of you are thinking, Matt, we know you. I was gentle. I was kind, right? I was conciliatory. I worked hard, and yet they still... And, but I said true things, and they left very angry. And then promptly did some things on Facebook to let everybody know how awful I was. But that's okay. I can handle that, okay? Because I don't follow them on Facebook. But Mark told me about it. Way to go, Mark. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's not Mark's fault. Totally. Um, but here, so here's what happens, right? So, so we do this thing, right? And... and you know, if we don't follow God, if we aren't all in on God, if we haven't submitted and surrendered to God, then this isn't a question we worry about because then we assume God takes me just as I am. God doesn't care what I do. God is way bigger than any circumstance here. It just doesn't matter. Now, we know as Christians that's not true. But for people that are surrendered to and trying to follow God, for people that are saying, okay, I want to be a Christian, I want to be known as someone who follows God, for those people, myself included, we're the ones who are acutely aware of our sin. We are so aware of our sin that it wrecks us, it hurts us, right? Because we know that we've surrendered and we know that we're supposed to be doing better and then we, we mess it up and we, and we make this mistake and we do these things and, and then we have to wonder, does God still love me? Is God mad at me? Have we gotten to the point where God says, I'm done with you? Okay? And as we get to the end of Romans 8, we're going to read just about as clearly as you can read that the answer to that is no. Okay? And as we read that the answer to that is no, that as a Christian, God will never give up on you. You will never out-sin God's grace. You will never be able to push God away from you. And there is nothing that will ever drive an eternal wedge between you and the God that loves and cares and cherishes you. Okay? And we're going to see that in the text. 
Okay, but real quickly, I, I want you to understand how this works before we even get in. This is something we talked about last week. You see this idea that the reason the answer is no, and we'll see in the text how this works itself out, but the reason the answer is no is because this is already a done deal. For those of you that are in Christ, okay, the idea of justification, when we read the scripture about justification, if you are a, a Greek geek, I'm not a Greek geek, but I read people that are, okay? If you're, if you're one of these people that loves to dig into original languages and these things and pull this out and pull it apart, that these are past perfect tense words. This means it happened and it's done. There is no, I can go back, it, there is no going back and changing and working things through. This happened and it's finished. That's what justification is. That when you came to Christ, you are now in a perfect sense, legally justified before God. It's a legal term. We've talked about this. It means there is no sin found in you legally. When God looks at your life, he does not see mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. When God looks at your life, instead of seeing your mistakes, he sees the righteousness of Christ put on you. And you are justified. And that happened in the past. If you're a Christian, it happened when you became a Christian, and it's in the past, and it's done. And it doesn't mean your salvation's finished. Certainly, we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's a present imperative, that you continually work out your salvation. As a Christian, it's done. You are justified. And as a response to your justification, you will continually work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which means you will not hang your head on the shelf and say, I'm a Christian. That's good enough. I'm done. Okay? So your justification is set. You are then, because you are justified, you are to continually work this out with fear and trembling, and then we will get to a future time that Paul's been talking about in Romans 8, where it will be finished, where you will be now glorified in the future, and that is when you are with God. Uh, that does not happen in this earthly lifetime, but it happens in the promise of this eternal future that you have. And so that's the salvific timeline. That's how this works together. And so we know right away, if we are in Christ, okay, now if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then this isn't, this isn't necessarily for you. This doesn't make sense for you, okay? Uh, you need to focus on that first point, on this idea of justification, that there's something that happens when I come to Jesus. And we'll talk about that as we get into the text, okay? But if you're here today and you're a Christian, then we understand that we can confidently say, Will we ever push God away from us? The answer is no. You cannot push God away from you. But what if I continue to make the same mistake over and over again? Will that push God away from me? No. But what if I mess up really big? What if I do that thing that the church has been saying over and over and over again, don't do that thing, and then I do that thing? Will that push God away from me? No. Get into the text here. Okay, we're going to start. We're actually doing Romans 31, 8, 31, all the way to the end of the chapter in 39, but we're actually going to start in the middle. You'll get why. It'll be okay. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? This is Paul talking now. Does it mean, can anything do that? Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity 
or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. Okay? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours in Christ who loved us. Okay, now we're going to stop there, and we're going we're to see that there's two divergent paths that we're going to take as we talk about this. The first is, uh, we're going to talk about this idea, and we did this last week, right, where we talked about the fact that there is evil in the world. There's evil in the world because the world is wrong. We said it last week, right? The world is broken, and, and it's, it's physically broken. Like, so our bodies are broken. That's why we see um, sickness, illness. Uh, eventually, we see death, okay? The world is broken. That's why we see natural disasters. That's why we see earthquakes and tsunamis and droughts and everything that's, that's wrecked Haiti, you know, from a physical standpoint. That's because the world is broken. That happened at the fall. And then finally, we see that morality is broken, okay? The way that we treat each other, the way that we uh, work with each other, the way that we um, worry about ourselves more than we worry about other people, those things are broken. And so we see that's what happened. And so evil is in the world. And that's just a natural byproduct of living in a world that's broken. That's what last week we talked about. We said, why does evil happen and where does it come from and why doesn't God deal with it? If you weren't here and you've got questions about that, go back and listen. Okay. So, so Paul's saying, look, when that happens, of course God loves you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you when those things happen, okay? But also, okay, also we understand that sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. Sometimes we suffer because of our own mistakes. Now think about this. Have you ever known anybody that had lung cancer because they smoked incessantly? You ever known anybody who's alienated their children because they were an absent father? You know, have you ever known anybody who um, has, has ruined their family because they couldn't stay faithful? You know, or have you known anybody that because of their addiction drove away people that were around them and lost things that were important to them? Of course you have. We say, but okay, how does this work then? Because if, if the God of the universe sent Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sinfulness, and, and God comes in flesh, and he lives a perfect life, and he's sacrificed on the cross, and he dies, and he's raised to life again, and, and when I trust him, I'm given new life in Jesus Christ, and I have this eternal thing. When God looks at me, he doesn't see that sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ on me. So why am I still stuck? Well, you're still stuck because God never promised to fix this. God promised to fix this. Okay, something that we have to understand here as we finish this text is that God never promised to rescue you from the trouble that you make for yourself. What God has promised to do is rescue you from the ultimate price of sin, and he breaks the power of sin in your life so that you don't have to continue to choose to sin. But God isn't necessarily going to wipe away every consequence, earthly consequence, for your sin. You're going to be stuck in that. In fact, if we keep reading, we see that God does that because he loves us. Discipline is a sign of fatherly love. Look at what Hebrews 12 says. The author of Hebrews says this. I like the version in the message because it just makes it so clear for us here. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. 
It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he's abandoned you. It doesn't mean he's done with you forever. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces is the child he corrects. See, God promises, God promises to forgive us. He promises to heal us. But he never promises to spare us the earthly consequences that are ours when we jack things up. And as a parent, if you're here today as a parent, you get that. Your kids do something and you send them to bed without dinner. And they come to you and they apologize and they're heartbroken and you forgive them and it's this grand exchange. Well, if that happens at my house, guess what? I love you. I never stopped loving you. And yes, you're forgiven. You're still going to bed without dinner. Because we discipline those that we love. If I didn't love you, I would say, keep on sinning. Keep on doing whatever you want to do. Because I wouldn't care about your future. And I wouldn't care about where you're going. But it's because I love you that discipline is handed out. Okay, I'm going to ask you guys all to pause for a second. Get my kids. You with me? It's because I love you that discipline is handed out. And all your parents, you can nudge your kids if they're sitting next to you now. That's cool. Um, Because that's the reality of this. That's what happens. It's not because God is extra harsh with you. It's not because God's done with you. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he does that he disciplines. So don't be crushed by it. Don't assume that somehow that means God is so done with you that he's just going to leave you stuck in your sin and he's never going to intervene in your life and he's never going to make a difference because that's not the promise. The promise is that God will step in and he will work and he will redeem it and he will use it somehow for your good and the good of those that love God, but he doesn't promise to fix it for you. Not on this life. Eternally eternally, when God looks at you, it's as if it never happened. Temporarily, sometimes we have to deal with the fallout of our sin. You're going to drive recklessly, you're maybe going to kill somebody. You're going to experiment with drugs and alcohol, you're maybe going to suffer the effects of drugs and alcohol. I mean, God doesn't promise to to save you from that. As a Christian, what God promises to do when you're following him and you're submitting to him, even though it's hard and even though you struggle and even though you fall down and even though you do it wrong, he promises to forgive here, okay? And we continue. So he says, no, go back. He says, no, nothing can ever separate you, okay? Despite all these things, the last verse there, 37, despite all these things, overwhelming is victory. Overwhelming victory is ours, through Christ who loved us, okay? And so we continue, um, and, and just because we do this thing, we're, we're like, how many of you have ever like, had somebody explain something to you? They tell you all about it, and then you're like, okay, yeah, but, like, you don't understand my circumstance. I love this one. I get this one all the time, right? They're like, uh, man, what, what does the Bible say about this? Well, it says this. Well, yeah, but, um, you know, I mean, that was 2,000 years ago, and this is, no, 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 this is what it says, Okay? Well, this is the yeah, but. He says, there's nothing, okay, that can separate you from the love of Christ. 
No, there's nothing. In fact, it's the opposite of that. Victory is assured. Victory is yours because of what Christ has done. And so Paul continues. So in case you've got a yeah, but he says, but no, 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 no. I'm convinced that nothing, death, life, angels, demons, fears, worries, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Guys, I want you to understand that list. That is a comprehensive list. Okay? That means there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. I mean, he basically lists everything he could possibly list. Neither death, doing something so stupid that it puts you, that you're done. That this life is over. Death, life. What God grants. Angels, demons, created beings got nothing on this. Oh, Man, and, and, and imagine what glory, what, how great is that? Because demons would love, Satan would love to rip you away from God. You know that, right? Satan is real. Satan is active. And what Satan would love more than anything else is to damn you to hell. But I'm reading this. Oh, and Satan's good, right? I mean, you ever been tempted? Oh, I mean, like really tempted? Satan is good. Satan knows where to push. He knows where to poke. He knows where to dangle. He knows what to put in front of you. But I read this and I say, there is nothing. Paul says, I am convinced that nothing can separate you from God's love, including angels or demons. That's why we sang that song earlier. Remember that song? When Satan tempts me to despair... And he tells me of all the guilt within and everything that he's put in front of me. What do I do? Upward I look and see him there who's made an end to all my sin. That's the promise. Okay? Nothing can separate you. So not life, not death, not angels or demons. What you worry about for today okay, or for tomorrow, those things don't matter either. Not eternally. Not in this context. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, what you need to understand there, the thing that you need to get, okay, so simply is this. That when you have become a Christian, your eternal destiny is set. This is, there's a doctrine at play here. The doctrine is called, in case you care, perseverance of the saints. Okay? Now, this is one of those that um, is going to be a debatable doctrine, but I'm going to tell you that it's not a debatable doctrine for the reasons that you think. Okay? Um, it, it's one of those things where as we read in Scripture, we read pretty clearly something like this. But, but we also read things where James will talk about, you know, like, you know like, like, if that doesn't happen, then your faith isn't real. And so then we wonder, well, wait, 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 wait time out. Maybe if we refuse to do these things, that God will swoop in and say, no, no, I'm taking salvation away from you. And so we have this thing that we wrestle with, uh, and it's this doctrine called perseverance of the saints. Uh, and, and really the way I would, I would want you to understand it is, is this. can't stress this enough. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
Life, death, angels, demons, nothing that happens in the created world can separate. Some people say this, well, nothing separates me from it, but I give it up on my own. Like you found the loophole in what Paul was talking about. Nothing created. Indeed, nothing in all creation, that includes you, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a done fact. Now, I will say this. There are lots of people. There are a lot of people. In fact, the latest Barna poll tells me that 75% of Americans claim to be Christians. 75% of Americans claim to be Christians. Raise your hand if you think that's true. Okay, no, I'm sorry. Let's, let's back up. Not, not raise your hand if you think that that's a true statement that I just said, that 75% claim it. Raise your hand if you think it's true that 75% of Americans are actually Christians. Okay, that's good. Now, I know the way I asked it, you're like, I'm not raising my hand now, even if I thought it was true. <laughs> that's right. Okay, but here's why. Here's how you know this is true. 75% of Americans claim to be Christians. 60% of them claim to believe that Jesus was God's son. So you do the math and you explain to me how 15% of Americans can claim to be Christians but not believe that Jesus is God's son. Another 10% refuse to believe that he rose again from the cross. So now all of a sudden I'm looking at 75% of Americans are like, yes, I am a Christian. A quarter of that group doesn't believe that Jesus died and rose again. How in the world do those things fit together? How can you be a Christian and not believe and revel in that? And it's more. There are many people, you probably know of many, some probably pop in your head. Maybe you're one of them as I make this next statement. There are many people that would say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But I don't need to follow him. I don't need to go where he goes. I don't need to do what he wants me to do. It's just enough to know about him. And I read in scripture, uh-uh, even the demons believe in Jesus. And they shudder. So I think what happens is we've got a lot of people who say, well, I'm a Christian. And we say, okay, well, you say you're a Christian. You must be a Christian. And then all of a sudden they stop living any kind of a Christian life and they go and they do their own thing. They may even get to the point where they say, I forget it. I don't believe in God anymore. And we would say, oh, well, that person lost their salvation. They, they lost it. They gave it up. No. What I'm going to tell you is that that person was never justified to begin with. That person never surrendered to Jesus, never followed Jesus. And I'm convinced that our world is full of churchgoers, or at least church claimers, who aren't where they think they are, and not what they claim to be. And this is a problem. Okay, this is a problem too, because we, we say, hey, you know what? We, we want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm good. I got Jesus. Do you? Because if you've got Jesus, it shows up in your life. Okay? But that's what it says. It says, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the gospel in a nutshell. You are sinful. I'm sinful. God loves us so much that he wants us to be in his family. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to spend eternity with us. He doesn't want any of us to be separated from him. You know, God creates people not because he had to. God creates because he wants to. 
God creates because he longs to be in this relationship with his creation. And then sin breaks that. And so God makes a way for people to come into relationship with him. It's the point of the cross. And the way we become a Christian is we recognize I'm sinful. I make mistakes. Jesus, God in flesh, died to pay the penalty for my sin so that my sin, instead of looking um, at me and seeing my sin, when I trust God to take care of it for me, when God looks at Jesus on the cross, he sees my sin. There is this transfer. My sin, all of the sudden, in a legal sense, is on God, is on Christ on the cross. And his righteousness from the perfect life that he lived, this grand perfectness of him, that comes over to me. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see yesterday. This is why I can say nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can take this away from you. Nothing rips it away because when God looks at you, he doesn't see sin. Ever since your moment of justification, ever since your moment of coming to Christ, ever since your moment of submitting and following Jesus and saying, God, I am a sinner and I need salvation and I'm trusting Jesus and I'm following Jesus, ever since that happened, when God looks at you, all he sees on you is the righteousness of Christ. On you. And all sin, past, present, and future that was yours, he looked at on the cross when Jesus was crucified. That's done. And there's no sin. There's this idea of a mortal sin. Find that in Scripture. Show me that in the New Testament. This idea of a mortal sin, somehow that I can out-sin the cross. No. It's not there. You're not going to find it there. And so we read this, and it says, if we are in Christ, then this glory has been revealed to us, and, and it's all done, and there's nothing that can separate us. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is why it's so critically important. This is why we can live free, not afraid. We talked about this uh, early in this series, that uh, it's one of the grand things of the Reformation, is that because of the teaching of the church, not because of what the Bible has to say, but because of the teaching of the church prior to the Reformation, there was no way for you to ever go to bed at night and wake up confident that God still accepted you. But because, it, because the Reformation comes and helps us understand what, what this is really saying to us and what this really means, we now have this freedom to understand that God accepts me. And you know what? I screw up all the time. I don't want to. I know better. Sometimes I treat God poorly. Sometimes I ignore him completely. Sometimes my anger gets the better of me. Sometimes I'm not gentle like the Bible has instructed me to be. Sometimes I, I don't know, I mean, fill in the blank with sin. It happens. But you know what? When it happens, I confess. I apologize to God. I ask him to make me better. If it caused grief in any of my relationships, I apologize, sometimes later than I should. And I try to make it right, but never in that, ever in that equation do I have to ask God, do you still love me? Do you still accept me? will you still take me? See, and I don't. 
because of what this says way back at the beginning. In the first three or four verses, I'm sorry, four verses of this text, it says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? See, this is, <laughs> this is the text that says, you know what? Stop worrying about your salvation. Start worrying about your growth. Start worrying about being a disciple who makes disciples. Start worrying about how you honor God with the way you live. Worry about all of that. Put all of that into practice. Meditate on that. Pray on that. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. But stop wondering if you've truly submitted to Jesus and you're truly trying to follow God. Stop wondering if this is the day that you push him away. Stop wondering that because there is nothing if God is for us, who could ever be against us? He didn't spare even his own son. That's what God thinks of you. He didn't spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? And we finish. We finish with just this little statement here. It says, so who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. This is done. This is finished. Your sin is not good. Your sin isn't right. Your sin is problematic. And your sin will cause you worldly grief because God has never promised to take that from you. But what your sin as a Christian won't ever do. Paul's words, not mine. I am convinced that nothing can separate you from the love of God. What your sin won't ever do is condemn you in eternity. See, no one can even bring a charge. Who could condemn you? This is God talking to you. See, you, you know what? And I know some of you, you're like, but I still, but I, I worry about this. I wonder. I actually, see, you don't know this, but, but I get phone calls and emails and, 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 and it's not rare for me to have people wonder, you know, and, and what about this? And, and, and how do I know? And how do I know it's really real in my life? And Carrie, you talk to Carrie. She struggled with this for years and years and years. You know, last week we talked about this idea of the elect um, and the different, whether God foreknew that people would choose him, or if God actually chose people to choose him, and how we're not sure, but we can, you know, work that through. But um, Carrie used to ask me, you know, as we would, we would wrestle through this early in our marriage, she would say, well, what if, what if I want God, but I'm just not one he ever picked? You know, what if I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I'm trying, but the reason I keep sinning, the reason I keep making mistakes, the reason it's hard is because God has just said, no, it's not you. I don't choose you. And of course, we know that's never the way that it will work. Nobody will ever desire to come to a relationship with God that God will say, no, uh -uh. That, that won't ever be the way that it is. And, and this is the, it goes a step further. When you keep sinning, when you struggle in your sin, when you fall down and you're like, it doesn't work. 
You know, we say, come to Jesus, and Jesus will turn, this will work. And we say, but I keep doing it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. God must not love me. It must not be for me. But you know what? That's, that's not what I read. What I read is that the promise is good. Keep working at it. Don't give up. Keep pushing. Keep moving. Keep growing. But do not give up because the promises of God are good for you. Because when you read that and you make it personal to you, okay, God talking to you says, I won't quit on you. Who can even bring a charge against you? Who could challenge you? I don't. And if I don't, who can? It's all mine anyway. It's all created. I don't condemn you. And so nobody else can. We talked about this way back at week one of the series, that if you were stuck, if you were that person that was stuck in sin, and you felt like, man, I know better, and I know, and I got excuses, and I got a long list of excuses, but I don't know what to do, and I can't, listen to me, keep moving, keep trying, keep trusting, keep pushing, God does not condemn you. It's simple. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the promise of a father that is ready to forgive you and not condemn you for mistakes, all that takes is submission and surrender. And submission and surrender to the God of the universe isn't easy, okay? And it'll be messy and you'll struggle, but he will hold you and sustain you through it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Uh, we thank you for everything. God, you are good and gracious and kind, and we've learned through this series that um, as Christians, you've, you've changed everything for us. You've broken the chains of sin so that we are no longer bound to a sin nature, that we are now free from sin, which means you forgive us freely, and at the same time that you compel us to grow, and when we stumble, and when it's messy, when we fall, God, that, that you are quick to treat us as a loving father treats his children. Sometimes letting us suffer through the consequences of our actions. Sometimes even setting those consequences in motion so that we'll turn from our wickedness, but never, never, Father, do you push us away. Never are you done with us. Never do you leave us on our own. Never, God, oh, thank you for the truth that never are you mad at us. God, we just love you and we praise you and we thank you for the truth of your word and we ask you to help us live it out, to live life with confidence and conviction. The confidence and conviction that we can have as those that are loved by God. You have lavished such love on us that we are called the children of God and no one can take that from us. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.